Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The Super Bowl is right around the corner. If you are looking for a place to bet on any of the sports going on, Bet Online is the best and only place to lock it in. Uh, after this James Harden to the Nets trade, uh, I think we should all just get on board. We, you know, you got to live a little. The Brooklyn Nets are now plus 175 to win the Eastern Conference. Might as well just take that. I mean, three of the best players in the game offensively. Come on, live a little. Believe in the Nets. Have fun. Watch and see if they can get it done. So from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there is always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Support for our podcast is also brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. All ball jokes aside, uh, you know, I've used the Manscaped product. It's very, very smooth. Uh, You don't have to worry about nicks and uh, little cuts uh, that can occur in the worst place possible. So I'm definitely a believer in Manscaped. Uh, Definitely check that product out. The reason why it is so smooth is because Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BROS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code BROS, B-R-O-S. Hello, everybody. Uh, Welcome to another version of Bill Roden on Sports. I hear Bill Roden in my car, you know. uh, I I don't know, man. I may be heading to the border again. uh, Not again. Not again, Bill. Not again. Yeah, it's it's got a running joke. You know, before the election, Jesse, I was, was, you know, I really really didn't have faith in my fellow Americans, uh, fellow United Statesers. So I was headed to the border. You know, hey, Canadian I'm right boy. there with you. I'm in the car behind <laughs> you, Bill. Yeah. Then, you know, after the elections, I, right, you know, people did the right thing. Now, I don't know, man. You know, this is nothing, 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 none of this is surprising, but it's just the fact that it's, it's nothing, nothing is surprising. I mean, we live with this in our midst, you know, all of our lives. Right. You know, um, it just so happens that. Uh, anyway, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Anyway, so I'm in my car and I'm joined by uh, the great Jamal Murphy uh, down in Brooklyn. Murph, what's going on? What's up, Bill? Uh, like you said, crazy times. Yesterday was uh, couldn't get any work done yesterday. Watching all this uh, the second impeachment stuff and seeing how many of these uh, Republicans, you know, still trying to defend the president. But anyway, moving right along, there was a big <laughs> there was a big trade also. Out here in Brooklyn, so it's all you know. It's interesting time, and 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 of course, the person who was on the trade, my colleague, uh, 
author, great journalist, the esteemed Jesse Washington of The Undefeated. And uh, he weighed in on, uh, he did a really nice piece about Pittsburgh uh, and development. And he'll talk a little bit about that. But then he came right back. Uh, in, in a rare back-to-back, -back. <laughs> <laughs> he did a really nice piece on the trade, uh, Harden to um, Brooklyn. So, uh, first of all, Jesse, welcome to the show, man. Welcome to the show again. Yes, sir, man. Always glad to be here. Pleasure and a privilege. Yeah, so tell us, man. Break it down. I'm thinking, I'm not a big Harden fan. I mean, it's not, I'm not, this is nothing personal. I'm sure he's a smart brother and all that. I'm just talking about, from my perception from the outside, I just don't know if he's a winning kind of guy. I mean, you know, winning as in NBA championship. But what's your take on this, man? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because uh, about a year ago, I did a profile of Russell Westbrook when he was headed to Houston. And so much was made about his relationship with James, how they were boys, how they could hold each other accountable, how they grew up together, you know, L.A. kids and all that, how it was going to work. Yeah, they both need the ball, but, you know, they're willing to sacrifice for each other. And then it didn't work out. You know, Russ got fed up. It was like, get me out of here. You know, and the whole timing of who wanted to leave first, I think it was Russ. And there's a lot of yeah. good reporting on Russ, you know, not only just not having the ball, because, I mean, you know, anybody who's the athlete knows it's hard to play with somebody who doesn't really want to share. And right. you can't get into your flow, whatever sport it is, you know, right. you, you can't get into your flow. It's frustrating standing around and, and then, you all of a sudden have to, you know, produce it when you haven't been in a rhythm. That's tough for anybody. So there was that with Russell. But then there was the whole part about, you know, Harden being late all the time and conforming the team's road trips to his partying schedule and things like that. So these are the things I think that concerns me. And, you know, the basketball stuff, I mean, these, hey, these guys are great players, man. Right. Phenomenal. The three of them guys over there do things that I haven't seen before. But it's a people thing, man. And, and Bill, you know, when you play, you know, like the dudes that you rock with in that locker room, there has to be some sort of character or accountability and, uh, you know, morals in order to win a championship. Because if they don't win a championship, it's not a success. So that's what I'm thinking about. And I'm worried. I'm, I'm worried. So, so in other words, uh, you don't see a championship. Doesn't sound like. Oh, he's trying to put me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you you taught this guy, Bill. That's not a big leap, though, Jesse. I mean, Brooklyn, not to, I mean, you know, it ain't like, it ain't like they're coming off a, a championship run and or they just missed it, you know. But you Katie, know. but Katie and Kyrie both have have titles, you right? Know. Um, yeah, but not, not in Brooklyn. But not in Brooklyn. That's true. Um, yeah, you know, I don't see a championship. I don't because I just and I honestly don't see how Kyrie and James can play together. And mm -hmm. I don't see how either one of them could really change at this point. When you've gotten as rich as them dudes are doing as well as they've done and your whole persona as a. I mean, you know, shoot, I still have a persona as a basketball player and I can't even play. So these guys, you know, <laughs> their whole being is wrapped up in what they can do on the court. So to give that up. I don't know, man. It's tough. I hope they can do it, but I don't expect it. Mm. Who? I mean, who pushed this? I mean, I, I guess it's one thing if it's like a free agent thing. You'd ask, like, what were you thinking? But uh, were they the team just pushed into it? They just kind of had to do it because it just it just seems like no kind of fit. 
no, none, no fit at all, none. Jamal, what do you think, man? I can't figure it out. Harden said he wanted to go there, but I mean, I can't figure it out. Who would think this would work? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, it looks like, I mean, first, we, first, you know, there's the elephant in the room, which, which is Kyrie, which we don't know. I mean, remember, this guy hasn't even played in, in about, I don't, I don't know how long, a few weeks. Um, he's healthy, but he's taking a, a personal leave. He's been spotted a few other well, places. So right, they don't. So so part of me thinks that you know it has to at least somewhat has to be an insurance policy because nobody knows what's going to happen with Kyrie. And actually, the fit is better, you know, better in terms of like uh, style of play without Kyrie there. Now, talent-wise, of course, Kyrie helps if they can figure something out. Um, so to me, it partly looks like a contingency plan. Um, and for Harden, I think it was the best for Harden. When, when, when you talk about either Philly or the Nets, I thought it was good for Harden because it gives him a little more cover because KD, who I've been impressed with, in ter- just in terms of being a leader, even with the Nets in this, in this beginning of the season, he's, you know, I've been impressed with KD in terms of he always seems to be trying to give his teammates confidence and that kind of thing. Right, um, right. So he seems to be a leader. You know, so I think I think for for Harden, it's good. It takes a little pressure off Harden, as opposed to if he went to Philly and it was just him and Embiid, there would be much more pressure on Harden. Mm. So he don't want it like yeah, I mean, that, huh? I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't think. I I don't. I don't see him wanting it like that, based on his yeah. his past. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, he wants. To, well, I, I, I'm about <laughs> to say something, and I, I think I think again, this has nothing to do with this conversation, but it does have to do with the media. I was just about to say something about uh, Harden, and I, I I don't know Harden at all. I was about to say something, well, yeah, well, you know, he wants to be able to party and all that. And I don't know that. I mean, I'm just saying it and because he went to a party, I mean, you know, and I just well, don't know. Maybe- in your defense, Bill, he he has he does have a proclivity for the for the nightlife, and that's been documented by himself on his own social media. So you're not far <laughs> off. Right. Yeah, yeah, but you know, so yeah, I, I just don't uh, don't get it. But you know, at least it's a, it's a diversion. It's something to talk uh, about other than you know just what the nation's going into. But before we before we get into that, Jesse, uh, um, yeah, I do want to talk to you about your your book, your John Thompson book, um, your, your book with the late John Thompson. Um, you know, we've done an event together. You've been sort of on the on the talking about it, uh, has anything? Um, have Have you gotten any more um, uh, any more perspectives about John or the, the the writing process or his meaning since the book has come out? Since you've been doing a lot of talking mm-hmm. about it, have you you know have you seen it? Uh, seen the work in any any different way? Have you seen John any differently? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. It's been hard for me to really get some distance from this to this point. And I think that's not really going to happen. That sort of perspective that I'm looking forward to. It's it's that's going to take a minute, I think, because it was such an immersive experience. <laughs> you know, um, as you know, Bill, his personality w- uh, was enormous. Um, and then I had to sort of inhabit that. So I really identified with it and his his struggles became my struggles. His feelings became my feelings because I really wanted to pour that into the book. The, um, the feedback that I've been getting, the, the overwhelming sentiment is this is, this sounds like coaches talking to me. 
Um, and in order to do that, I sort of had to lose some outside perspective, right? And early in the process, I told myself, okay, you're approaching this differently than you would approach a column about the Brooklyn Nets trade or, or, or you know, I, I had to sort of, to be honest with you, turn off that cynicism and that built-in skepticism and questioning everything that we cultivate as journalists. What's right, the old saying, right. Bill? Uh, if your mom tells you she loves you, double check it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. So, so I'm really waiting to get that. Um, you know, and it it's been it's been a little bit of a. I like to think that I could handle a lot, but it's at times it's almost been overwhelming. Um, how, how? How? I think I may have asked you this maybe during our talk at the, at mm -hmm. the uh, Penguin Bookstore. Um, but how different do you think this would have been had you been approaching it straight up, you know, as your project, as a biography more than as an autobiography, you know, as, as, yeah. as uh, autobiography? Oh, I think it would have been much different. Definitely. Um, because Coach says it in the book. Hey, there's a lot of guys who play for me who can't stand me and hope they never see me again. And I feel the same way about some of them, too. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. He, he, He's under no illusions that everybody loved him. And, that, and, and he said many, many times, yeah, they like to make me out to be some sort of St. John. But uh, my sister's always said, he, he said, actually, pretend to that headline. Actually, we had an argument one time because um, there was a couple publications that called them St. John. They use it in a headline. And there was one in Sports Illustrated, in, in the Washington Post or Sports Illustrated. And we argued about which one it was. I think it was both. But the point was, he said the piece came out and his older sisters, he had three older sisters, and they came up to him with it in their hand and they said, we know you. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you ain't fooling us. So, um, so I think the book would have been much different. Um, still worthwhile. And there may, you know, a couple people have said, oh, okay, there might be a great biography still to be done of of Coach Thompson. There was a biography done in 1990 by Len Shapiro of the Washington Post. Oh, yeah. Which the I big found- Big Man on Campus? Yeah, Big Man on Campus. And, uh, you know, I found that one to be a bit shallow. Coach didn't participate, you know, that, so it doesn't usually go your way when you do that. You know, if, if Coach had participated in a biography, I find it hard to believe that he would do that. <laughs> you know, he was, he was about that control, man. He, right. he was unabashedly, seeking control. I think he deserved it. So um, it definitely would have been different. There would have been, there were things that he didn't want to talk about. There were things that I asked him about that he refused to talk about. Mm. Um, and so th those type of things would have been in there. Um, so who knows, maybe somebody will come up with that great book. I don't think I could do it at this point because I'm just, I'm by this experience has, has, you know, quite honestly would make me biased. Let me yeah, ask, right. Let me ask you, I mean, obviously you've talked about it um, a lot, you know, talked about the book a lot, but mm -hmm. just, you know, for the purpose of, of this show and the listeners and also me, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated by the, by, the, by the project and by the man. I mean, I'm still a Georgetown fan, you know, based, based off of John Thompson and, and Patrick Ewing. Like the first, that was the, those were the first games I watched probably and, and I was an immediate fan and I still, believe it or not, am a Georgetown fan and root for them and, you know, know that 
they've signed a top 15 guy next year for the first time in 20 years or whatever. So, and he can't um, come soon enough. <laughs> he can't come, he can't come soon <laughs> enough. But, um, so talk to us, talked about the process and about, you know, how did you, did you know, you know, what was your relationship with Thompson? What did you think? What were, what were your thoughts about him beforehand uh, as compared to when you started the project? Yeah, we had no relationship. We'd never met. He didn't know who I was. Um, they were looking for a writer and, uh, John Skipper, the former president of ESPN, who I interacted with uh, early on at the Undefeated, the agent approached him and asked for suggestions. And I'm sure I wasn't the only name that John Skipper mentioned, but I was one of them. And then the next thing you know, I'm at Coach Thompson's house talking to him and his yeah. daughter Tiffany and his son John. And, uh, you know, I admired him. Definitely. You know, I grew up on Georgetown basketball. I was a big East, a Georgetown fan, a Big East fan. I was like in high school when they won their title, when they went on that run. And more to the point, I had just never seen anybody like him. And it really made a deep impression on me, although I probably didn't realize it at the time. This is a black man in charge of the best basketball team in the country. And look at how they present themselves. Look at how they play. And like, you know, as a, as someone who loves and participates in the game of basketball, I appreciated how they got down. You know that they that they were so aggressive and so relentless, and then had this intelligence and class, you know, to them. But it's funny. I'm sort of analyzing myself in real time here. But you know, the short end of my bio is I'm a kid from the projects who went to Yale and married a doctor, and so I always that line was something that I always was trying to navigate and find my way through, particularly at that time in my life. And I never wanted to, you know, I, I felt at home, but out of both of those environments. So Georgetown was like, a, you know, a bunch of brothers from around the way doing their thing in a very unapologetic fashion. And I love that. And then the coach would come on and talk and he would be the most erudite, you know, <laughs> speaker. Right. And so, I think on a subliminal level that really appealed to to what I was experiencing at that age. Like you can't be like it's hard to be a smart kid in the project. They, right. You know, I went right. to private school and they didn't even call me Jesse in the project. They called me Oakwood. That was the name. That was my name in the project. <laughs> right, right, right. My school. So, <laughs> so you know that that part really resonated with. Me. So you know, just the experience was uh, we had to get to know each other, and I had to get him to trust me. And I had to do that through my work ethic and my ability to produce sort of the same as if I was a player. So I worked hard. Mm. I came to the interviews prepared. I did my research. I didn't just rely on him to just say everything. He would say, so what do you got for me today? That was mm. how every right. session started. And I had to have, I couldn't just be like, what's on your mind, coach? <laughs> right. I came with games, dates, incidents, newspaper clippings. Like I put the work in. And so he respected that. And then he respected the stuff that I was writing. So it took us several months. You know, I would probably say four or five months before I was like, okay, now, now we're really getting somewhere and I'm going to keep this job <laughs> just because <laughs> I got it. That didn't mean I was going to keep it. Right. Uh, what, what, what surprised you about him? Um, you know, after you, you started to get to know him a little bit. Huh? So a lot of it was what you expected and what I had anticipated and hoped for. John Thompson talking trash, John Thompson cussing up a storm, right. um, speaking his mind, you know, being unapologetic. And, you know, uh, when black men get to a certain age 
all the it's no breaks from there right. on out. <laughs> right, right, right. No filter. He was well, no filter. He was past that. The part that I didn't anticipate was all of the influences and the reasons why he did the things he did. The more so not the reasons, but like the deeper people that influenced him. Like I had no idea that Red Arback was his mentor. That huh. he was kicking it with Red Arback from age like fifteen. Mm. Him and Red Ar- Red Arback would really? pick him up in Washington. Yeah, and and uh, so back in the day, Cutcher's Country Club was like a basketball. Oh yeah, spot. yeah, right. It right. was a Bill knows it was a Jewish resort in the Catskills. All the brothers, college players, would go up there and work for the summer, and they would play games at night. Pros would come up, Will Chamberlain would come up. It was top level basketball. Uh, when Coach Thompson was early in high school, Red Arback would pick him up and drive him up to Cutcher's. I don't know, that's six or seven hours from Washington. Just the two of them in the car together, you know, and on numerous occasions. And then he played for, for him. So uh, Red Arbag being a primary influence. Dean Smith being one of his closest friends in life. Right. Because right. yeah. that's, the, that's the ultimate eye couple. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. coach says in the book that Michael Jordan would say, I don't know how y'all two got together. You got a little short, prim and proper white man who don't curse and a big black mm-hmm, who, who every other <laughs> word, <laughs> you know. Right. And, and so those being his influences and him getting his coaching techniques and the style of him running his program was a surprise to me. Also, it was a surprise that he gives so much credit to not only his parents, but black women who were his teachers. And he had two teachers in particular his sixth grade teacher and the, the director of his master's degree program, black women, who he says influence his coaching techniques as much as Red and Dean. But they wow. did it in terms of how to deal with young people, you know, how to get the best of some, somebody, how to teach somebody. So those were the things, you know, I didn't, you know, I, I thought it would be the typical basketball story. Yeah, I had some coaches who I liked and I learned how to coach and I, you know, but it was his influences were, were much deeper than that. And then the last thing that really surprised me was, and I'm not going to give a spoiler with that, but he has a very surprising connection to those, uh, to Georgetown's history with slavery mm. and Georgetown selling 272 slaves in the 1800s in order to keep the university from going under. Um, if you haven't you know, heard about that story, listeners, go Google Georgetown slaves sold and you will find out how they owned all these slaves and sold 272 of them to keep the, the university from going under. He has a very profound connection to that, which was a huge surprise. And that's in the book too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how did you find uh, Mary? Uh, you know, Mary. Um, right. Mary Fenlon. Mary Fenlon. Yeah. Cause right. she's sort of like the, the foundation of. <laughs> Unquestionably really number foundation. two in charge. Absolutely. She was there for, she was there from before the beginning. and all the way past the end so we had several conversations with so for those who don't know um mary fenlon was the academic advisor for georgetown basketball the first of her kind in college basketball period not only as a woman but just the concept of having one person who works with the academics for your team for your college team was invented by john thompson Mm. and uh she remained one of his closest and most trusted confidants. We had several conversations with her to talk about things that happened in the book. And he would really check his recollections and some of his feelings and ask her opinion of it. She lived in Las Vegas, so we never met in person, but we got on the phone two or, t- two or three times. Um, oh. One of the really interesting interactions that we had was 
you know, so much of Coach Thompson's persona was about him being a bully and intimidating. And that was something that he dealt with extensively in the book. And one time I asked him, he was, he was vociferous in his insistence that he never intended or tried to intimidate anybody, but yet he did. Because you read Alonzo Mourning's book and Alonzo would say, man, I was intimidated. And this is Zoe, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I say, coach, I know you didn't try to intimidate anybody, but you're too smart not to know that you did intimidate people. Do you think that you ever tried to use that to your advantage? And that question caused a lot of consternation. He, he responded to it in the moment, and I'm pretty sure that he said, absolutely not. And then the next day when we met, he came in with like this look on his face. And he said, man, I was thinking about that all night. And he called Mary Fenlon. And he said, Mary, do you think I ever tried to, he used the term buffalo. You think I ever tried to buffalo somebody, Mary? Was I out there trying? <laughs> you know? oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, right. man. There's a lot. There's a lot to it. So, so that was sort of the, how we interacted with uh, with Mary Fenlin. Um, you know, Mary was tough, man. She was very tough. People were scared of her. Oh, now they. She's the one who intimidated me. Yeah, right. she, and, and probably intentionally on her part too. <laughs> oh yeah, we were talking one time, and we were talking about. St. John, something that Karnaseka did. And she said, oh, man, that little midget. <laughs> and another time we were talking about uh, a writer from Sports Illustrated who I'm, I'm not going to name here. Kurt and she Kurt said, yeah, okay, now that you want to bring it up. Yeah. <laughs> and he did a lot of debt. I'm going to say it man, since, mm-hmm. since it's out there now. He, mm-hmm. he wrote a lot of dastardly things about Georgetown basketball. It was, mm-hmm. it was, he did. Oh, he was terrible. It, yeah, it was really bad. And as Coach says, he was sort of the leader of the pack, and so everybody else fell in line behind him. Mary yeah. said, "If I and I quote, if I could have caught him out behind the gym, I would have took his knees out with a baseball bat." <laughs> well, what so were some? Was, what were some was, of those things he said? Uh, man. I know, I, I, I know, I saw you talking about it somewhere else in terms of. I'll give you, you know, one go, example. Yeah, going yeah. back and reading Here's the best example. Stuff. Right. So. Um, you know, Sports Illustrated was the ESPN of its day. It was the right. most important thing, and everybody bowed down to them. And they had huge influence. And he was used to getting whatever he wanted. He came to Georgetown's campus and asked for an interview with Ewing. But at the same time, Sports Illustrated had somebody else walking around asking people, is Coach Thompson a racist? Do the alumni right. want him fired? Right. You know? And so Coach was like, uh, you ain't getting no interview. And so he left. Then they had the Big East Championship game, and that was the game when they beat Syracuse, and they had the scuffle with Michael Graham and uh, yeah. Hawkins. It was a Syracuse, you know, yeah, and, Andre and, Hawkins. right? And then, and then uh, Michael Graham got ejected and then reinstated into the game, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I read the article that that Curry wrote after that, and the first sentence was to the effect: it said those noted scholars from Georgetown. Yeah. Okay. Now, and as we said in the book, that's basically just saying, look at these dumb niggas. Right. right. I mean, come on now. And right. it went on and on to that. And he, like, he criticized them for staying at a hotel in Harlem. Yeah. You know? And uh, he, it was just, you know, so that's sort of an example. That was one of the most racist articles that I had read in a long time. And I was embarrassed by the fact that when I read it at age 15 or whatever it was, because I read every single issue of Sports Illustrated cover to cover, I was embarrassed that when I read it then, I didn't recognize that it was racist. 
which mm-hmm. as Coach Thompson would say, that's the bigger danger. Right. I was conditioned yeah. to that type of thing. So, uh, and then you got the guy from uh, the Salt Lake City Tribune who called him the Idi Amin of college basketball. Yeah. Idi right. Amin murdered hundreds of thousands of people. What the heck? Come on now. I mean, if you th- that that had to do with they were both dark skinned black men, you know, mm-hmm. who who were in control. So those are the type of racist things that he had to deal with. And the ironic thing is that he, you know, he actually did produce noted scholars from Georgetown. You know, he when did. You, when you look at his, when you look at his players now, uh, and how they represent themselves, you know, that's a great point. That is a great point. He did. You know, I've I've had the pleasure of being able to interact with Michael Jackson a lot on this project, and he helped a lot with the book and everything. One of the most impressive, low key, humblest guys that I've been around had no idea that he is the one who put together the Inside the NBA show with Kenny and EJ and Charles Barkley and them. Um, among his many other accomplishments. So just, uh, you know, he's got an amazing roster of people. Now, he had some other people who came through there who didn't belong. And he even admits to that in some of the book. Um, He says it was a mistake to bring Victor Page to Georgetown. Oh, really? Uh, He did say that. He did admit that. And it was hard for him to, you know, our conversations about Victor Page, and Victor was on the phone with us sometimes, but those were difficult conversations for for coach to have and to, and he says in his book, you know, I overestimated my ability to change things, to change him. And the reason I did it was because he was the best player to come out of Washington in decades. And I wanted him on my team. Right. So, you know, I thought I give coach a lot of credit for being that honest in portions of his book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just kind of the last thing, I don't think I asked you this before, but of all the, the former players you talked to, um, is there anyone who stands out, somebody maybe you didn't know, um, you know, because I know you had some strained relationships. They probably wouldn't want to talk. But, but of the people you talk to, is there anyone who, you, you, you know, stands out in your memory of just being um, either somebody you, you, you have one opinion of and, or, or, you know, just somebody who's terribly insightful? Hmm. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Steve Martin was very impressive. He's the commissioner of an athletic conference down in uh, down somewhere down south right now, where he's from, Mississippi, Louisiana. Um, Michael Jackson is probably the, the one that was out, you know, really impressed with the most, probably because he gave you the most time. You know how that goes. Um, and then the other one was a guy by the name of of of, of Lonnie Duran. So Lonnie's younger brother Bebe was the star of the team, first right. MVP of the Big East. First guy to go pro out of Georgetown. But Lonnie is now the director of Boys Club Number Two, which is where Coach Thompson grew up. And there's a great story in the book about how when the city tried to annex uh, Searsum Corridor housing development, sort of like that Penguin story, uh, Bill, the, the city of Washington tried to try to annex the whole the whole neighborhood, the whole development. And Lonnie and his former teammate Felix Yeomans teamed up and held the city at bay and extracted a $62 million commitment to the residents who live there, you know? So, so, so that was real. And and coach said, and he says in his book, yeah, Lonnie looks like that TV detective Columbo. If you see him on the street, you think he doesn't have a job, but he's one of the smartest people that you ever saw. (laughs) So, so that was really cool, man, to get to meet a player that, that, uh, you know, that, that I had not heard of. I had no idea who he was, but coach, you know, really loves him. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of players, Bill, that, that he didn't get along with. And you know what? I didn't talk to them because Coach didn't want me to. <laughs> I was going to ask you about Reggie Williams. 
Uh, Coach, Reggie got Reggie got some issues with the, the program or whatever, apparently having to do with his son, um, who uh, the way I heard the story is Reggie's son didn't get recruited, wasn't that level of a player. JT3 put him on the squad and then Reggie got mad because he wasn't playing or something and, and then some problems ensued when they, really they were doing Reggie a favor, right. you know, like something like that, you know. And then, and then Michael Graham is here and there, you know, like sometimes he has good things to say, sometimes he doesn't. Um, but then again, when Michael Graham, you know, Coach Thompson kicked him out of school because he wouldn't go to right. class. When the brother hit the lotto for a million dollars, he brought the ticket to Coach Thompson and said, I need you to close this for me before I can cash it. So, you know, it's complicated. Yes, yeah. yeah, because Williams particularly, um, and what about Wingate? Uh, I did not talk to, to Mr. Wingate. He had some legal issues apparently, um, uh, you know, some years ago. But, no, I didn't interview him. Don't know his feelings towards, towards Coach either. Yeah, but, I mean, the thing about Reggie Williams is that he was such an important player right. for Georgetown. You know, that's when I was kind of first. MVP, MVP of the championship game. Yeah, right. yeah. But, you know, like 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 uh, John said, you know, you know, you can't win them all. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's funny because it, go, it kind of goes to the whole uh, persona as a coach compared to, you know, his persona as like an intellectual um, that, that came forward, you know, with the media. Um, because, you know, he had to be, it's it's fascinating because you, you have to be both. I don't care. You know, you still have to win. So he had, he still had to be one of those great coaches. And we all know that that was, that's how coaches are. They, they're, you know, they're confrontational. Uh, right. They challenge you. Uh, they curse at you and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I have a, a friend of mine who I grew up with. He's a little older than me. He walked on at Georgetown and he came from a family where with a father figure, you know, along the same lines as Thompson, but much more reserved, laid back, never cursed. And what he told me was, you know, he was he was taken aback by how confrontational, how much Thompson cursed and that kind of thing. So I think, you know, th that's just the way it is. If you, I mean, remember, if he didn't win, we wouldn't be talking about him either. Right. Boom. Exactly. So and he knew that. He knew that. He knew that in order to do the things he wanted to do and make the statements he wanted to make, he had to win off the rip. And quickly, you know, because uh, this brother got hired in 1972. Yeah. There were only four other coaches at white institutions, you know, none of them prominent. And so, you know, he had a very short window. Yeah. How did you come up with that title? The title was, 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 was perfect. It was a beautiful title. How did you come up with the title? Thank you. His daughter Tiffany suggested the title. And Coach Thompson had a family member who he revered. He was a poet. His uncle and his name was Louis Grandison Alexander. He was part of the Harlem Renaissance. And when coaches growing up in the 1940s and 50s in segregated DC, the only people of note in the neighborhood were uh, athletes, um, both locally and nationally. They didn't see any figures who were celebrated for using their minds. But then his uncle came along and he was praised for writing these poems and associating with Langston Hughes and County Cullen. And he was like, oh, he's, he, he's getting ahead with intelligence. And so he, he he loved his uncle and respected him so much. And Coach Thompson had memorized this poem. So he didn't come up to me and tell me, like, the way his mind works and the way this process unfolded, he didn't say, Jesse, I want the book to be called this because I had this uncle that. 
just one day, he just recited a poem off the top of his head. I came as a shadow, I stand now a light. The depth of my darkness transfigures your night. And I was like, huh, Coach Thompson's recited poetry? Is this some sort of trick? <laughs> Is this a set? <laughs> um, and then he said it a couple more times. And then I, he said, yeah, that's my uncle. And I Googled his uncle and so on and so forth. And then one day I was like, wait a minute, Coach, you identify with that poem. That shadow in the poem is you, isn't it? And he just looked at me. <laughs> it was like, you're damn right. Mm -hmm. And so uh, so that's where the title came from. Yeah, he identifies beautiful. He identifies with the shadow. And also uh, it, was, it, it was the first example of successful black intelligence that he had seen. Yeah, that was beautiful, beautiful. Uh, I guess is the, uh, the great Jesse Washington. Um, he wrote the uh, autobiography with the great John Thompson. I came as shadow. Uh, just really a wonderful job, wonderful job of reporting, of uh, really walking a very fine line uh, between letting somebody else give their voice, uh, interpreting that voice. Uh, it is hard. I mean, I've never, I've never done it, you know. But just given who you were writing it with, I just know the forceful personality and all that. Uh, just really a great job, and so happy that uh, he chose you to do it. And it's on the record. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, yeah, it's, it's on the record. That's the thing. It's documented. Yeah, it's documented. Thanks. So Thanks just, just for before you leave, man. So what? Um, now that you're sort of back among, <laughs> you know, among the quote unquote living, uh, <laughs> what do you? What do you? Uh, did that whet your appetite for doing more books? It did, Bill. It really did. Um, and. Uh, I would like to find, an, it, it's hard, you do, you do something like this with this much meaning and significance, then to, you wanna find that same type of fulfillment in terms of subject matter. And so I'm really trying to figure out, uh, trying to choose from a number of ideas that I have of things that are about sports, but have a bigger, and, and a bigger resonance and, and go beyond sports. You know, yeah. in, the, in the vein of, uh, your book, Forty Million Dollar Slaves, which remains relevant to this day, um, you want to do something that really can be instructive for the moment we're in and be useful as we move forward. And so, uh, so I'm I'm looking for something else. Yes. Well, maybe we ought to do it together because I've been looking for something for, for, for the last twenty years, <laughs> however long it is, and you articulated perfectly. You know, because <laughs> you know, I mean. You want to do something with impact, with whatever, and all that. And uh, my advice is just, it's hard. Just do it. <laughs> yeah, you know, it is, you man. Be, well, you can be, you know. <laughs> right. Well, I, all I have for you, Bill, is the title. $400 million slaves. <laughs> right, 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 right. I know. I right. know. The sequel, the sequel is that the money is just gone. I mean, same same relationship to power. It's just like they're getting paid more. They're getting paid more. It's crazy, man. I was doing when I was doing that article uh, that we were talking about about uh, Harden and these guys, um, and I was like, "Huh, how much do these cats make a game?" Five hundred k. It's a seventy-two wow. game season. You get them forty million. It's like five hundred k a game. And your boy, Ky and your boy Kyrie, like this hasn't been come out. Are they paying him for the games he's missing? I don't think but we know. They, have, they well, don't want to say. It probably they, depends on what he does. You know what I'm saying? Probably, well, you know, but they're he, finding him. They're finding they? they, they, well, yeah, they, they him. If we find you, 
fifty thousand, and we pay. They just take that off the top. So then you I'm take, getting four fifty again. Salary. You know, yeah. like if like you know. Do you even miss? <laughs> I, do you, do I tell you, you miss what? It? I don't think you miss fifty. No, but you but gonna you miss five hundred. Yeah, gotta, uh, miss, gotta miss five hundred. Please tell but me. But you know, the question is, I always wondered, with all the money that they find these guys in the NFL and NBA and all that, uh, I I've heard little slivers of it. But can you dictate where that money goes as players? You know, because I mean, you could at this time have built had a bank already. You could have, <laughs> you know, you could have, you could have put. You know, I always thought that that, you know, I guess if I could make the white magic wand and been like Demora Smith with meaning, <laughs> you know. Um, so, you know, what I like to do as a, as a group of players is let's set as our goal uh, every year for the next 10 years, put X number of kids through law school mm. or X number of kids through medical school, mm. you know. Um, and, you know, I'm sure you could, but I mean, to me, to, to produce lawyers or doctors or, you know, build a school, something like that, so that when this thing is over, you know, if 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 for some reason black athletes kind of disappear or they are are they sort of are what they were in the fifties, mm-hmm. you know, when you look back, so what did you accomplish? You right. know, where's your footprint? What did you? Are there banks? Are there schools? Are there, uh, you know, there uh, like 150 MDs or the 150 lawyers or the 100, you know, what right. did you do? And I don't know if you could look back at this moment mm-hmm. and point to something tangible. Mm. that they accomplished as a as a collective as a collective yeah as a collective i think that'd be that'd be difficult you know individually some of them have some remarkable things um i did see the Kyrie, i believe recently paid some undergraduate tuition for some folks obviously lebron has his program where if you graduate from his school and his program then you're guaranteed free uh education at the university of akron um but you're right bill these things like we do have to look at a higher level now and placing people in positions. It's it's not just enough to get a, a high school diploma. You know, um, it, right. it's good and it's necessary, but we need we need to strive for more than that. Um, yeah. You know, and sort of like what you're, uh, Bill, when you are gone, you will have left a legacy of Roden fellows at the very least. And there's mm-hmm. probably more that I don't even know about where you will have brought dozens of people into the business, you know? And so I think that that's what you're talking about. Um, you know, so maybe uh, since we talked about book ideas, maybe you need to lay out the blueprint for the for it and say, you know, and hit them with a quick 150 page, uh, you know, a quick 150 pages, Bill. Of here's yeah. the blueprint for leave for for making sure that we don't waste this moment and trick off. Isn't that what the kids say? Trick off it. Trick off all this money that we got. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, let let's make sure we we. This is how we can make sure that that we magnify the impact that we have. And everybody talks about using your platform here. How about you monetize this platform for the next generation? I bet yeah. you they would listen. Let me take notes. Let me steal yeah. this right quick. Me, uh, <laughs> Don't worry. We're, we're, we're recording. So you're good. You're good on that. We're talking about, uh, you know, the whole, the $40 million slaves, athletes as slaves and uh, not having control over what they do. And then we also talked about uh, Kyrie a little bit. Um, and it, he's a, obviously an interesting case. Um, he's doing a lot of good things. Like you said, he's paid, he's paid for, uh, tuition to HBCUs for people. He, he, he paid for, I forget who, who the woman's name is from the WNBA who took 
who took uh, the year off to uh, pursue social oh, issues. Oh, Maya, paid- I mean, uh, yeah, Maya Moore, right? No, not her. I think it was someone else that he paid her salary. He um, paid a bunch of oh, salaries. Yeah. He paid a bunch he of salaries? In, yeah, a bunch of salaries for WNBA players. Right. So, and then at the same time um, to where, you know, I know it's uneven, but he, but he's, you know, he's kind of trying to take control of his own situation and he sits out and he receives criticism from people, including me. You know, and, and so kind you know, so, so what? So it's like, but he's trying, but it seems, you know, he's he's involved in social issues. It seems like he's trying to do the right things, but if, but it's almost like a thin line, even for people on your side, in terms of, um, you know, whether you get that criticism for trying to take control. You have any, anybody have any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, he should have spent four years of due for that critical, you know, for critical thinking, <laughs> you know. Um, mm. But, you know, he's trying to put it together on his own, which is, you know, and I think that's the difference between, you know, being a Jesse Washington or, or you know, being writers, you know, and spending most of your time doing sports, you know, trying to really be elite, because that's a full time thing. And you don't necessarily have time to, you know, go through Duke or go through any Prairie or any Howard or anywhere where. And with each successive year, you're around scholars, you're around just, you know, peers who are into a lot of different things outside of, you know. So I think that's why, um, you know, uh, I think his wives, for example, at the Atlanta Dream tapped into Stacey Abrams. Right. You know, they said, well, we got the muscle, we got the visibility, you know, um, we're playing, we're, we're playing ball. And Stacey says, cool, that's your job. Our, my role as a strategist is to use you got as as you know, so it's like on a team you know just you play basketball and and on on a great team everybody just plays different roles sometimes even roles that you don't want to play but if you're really consumed with winning then he's okay fuck you know I'll rebound I'll rebound for these three years or um, all right I'll uh, distribute or what you know whatever you know and I think that. That's something we probably did as a people. Uh, and I think we're probably get, getting back to that after going through that that streak in the wilderness where, you know, just you get yours and I get mine, and you know, and that that's the trick of integration where where, you know, okay, we're gonna get you and you and you and 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 put you in an elite situation, and as long as you don't try to bite the hand to feed you, <laughs> you know. Like, but I think I think now I don't know how you feel about that, Jesse, relative to Jamal's question. It seems like we are kind of Kenny getting back to that. And, and Jamal, I mean Jamal, but Kyrie is trying. It's just right. inconsistent, <laughs> intellectually inconsistent. You know? Right. But he ain't no James Harden, though. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a line there with Yeah, there's a line there with Kyrie because, you know, it's it's uh you know, he's a weird guy, man. I mean, mm-hmm. let's call it what it is. He's strange, <laughs> you know. He, the, the way his his uh the type of things he says, the way he has embraced some conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. um, and hey, you know, people are different, man. I get that. Um, but when you're trying to get somebody in a team environment, that's what makes it tough. I think you can be strange and quirky and uh, unreliable on one hand, and still give away a lot of money. On the other. <laughs> <laughs> you, know? you can do and some I, good. Right? And I'm glad that he. I, I respect that man. He cares. Right. He yeah. cares. He does you know? care. He yeah. cares. And and, and, that, so, and that and really at the end of the day, 
if, uh, you know, that's probably more important than, you know, him dribbling the ball too damn much. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, because Harden dribbles the ball too damn much and probably doesn't care. <laughs> and really, and really, yeah, wait, yeah. did you see when when they asked Harden, what did you think about the riots today at the U.S. Capitol? And he said, I didn't see it. Oh, yeah. Come Thanks. on, bro. Yeah, he doesn't answer. I remember I asked him a question like that at one of the All-Star games. It was, whatever was going on a couple of years ago, it had, something had just happened, and he did the same thing. He said, yeah, so I really think you it. don't care. If that's the case, then, then it can be said that you don't care. And, like, then it gets to this whole thing. Must they care? Do they have a responsibility to care? I think they do. But well, as, a, as a black person, I mean, forget a basketball player. I mean, right. And as a rich black person, I feel that, you know, we do have a responsibility. I mean, as him being a rich black person, me being an aspiring rich black person. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> me too, me too. <laughs> you know, where, where, the, where do you say that? Uh, he has more, you know, he has, you have more responsibility, man. You got to reach back. Our brothers and sisters are suffering out here, man. We got to help them. If not us, who? It kind of goes into, <laughs> and the Kyrie thing in terms of, you know, it's more important than him being able, you know, how, how many times he dribbles, you know, how, you know, how many times he passes the ball or whatever. Um, but it does kind of go back, going back to John Thompson and you, you know, you're more, the more you win, the more powerful you are. So the better, the better he is on the court, the more powerful he can be off the court too. And I, and that, that's something he probably yeah. has to, has to understand. That's true. We can just take a pause for a moment here and note that the stuff Kyrie does on the court, I've never seen anything like it. That mm -hmm. brother is incredible. He, he right. looked the, what I saw him playing this year, he looked better than ever. Right. He has a hard time staying healthy, but he's, right. he's pretty much unguardable. He's pretty right. much unguardable. Now, of course, you know, you need to get everybody else involved. I mean, that's obvious. So there's yeah. a problem with that. But, I mean, phenomenal player. Uh, I yeah, mean, you just need to stay healthy. And that's ever since high school, you know, you know when you mention insurance policy, yeah, because it's not uh, with Kyrie, it's not if, it's when. Yeah. When and for how long, yeah. you know. Uh, hopefully, hopefully he's taking his time off now and that, and he, he can come back because like you said, these are from all three of those guys, phenomenal players in Brooklyn right now. So they just have to figure it out a little bit to, to be contenders. Well, they need Doc Rivers. You remember when, when um, Doc introduced the idea of Ubuntu, when uh, Kevin Garnett, right. Paul Pierce and Ray Allen came. And uh, in fact, I was in South Africa at the time and I went to the play, the village where that kind of comes from. And in fact, Doc took the story and put it, he framed it and put it up in his Celtics uh, thing because it was about, and it's, it you know, I, uh, I am because you are, you mm. know, I can't be great unless you're great. You know, that right. kind of concept. And mm. um, it seems I don't know, as Bill, if, that, does that sound like, does that sound like something that Harden or Kyrie no. would, would say? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> They'd be like, no. I am great. Period. Yeah, I am yeah. great. I <laughs> exactly. am a genius. I am a genius. I'm a genius at my craft. <laughs> I, right. I don't need you to be great because I want to be great. <laughs> yeah. I have hopes for KD. I, I have oh, hopes yeah. that this is going to be like um, for this chapter of his career, for him to become the leader that his talent warrants because in his past two teams, he was never the leader. You know, Russell was Russell's personality took over that team and then he entered a situation in Golden State where it was already an established hierarchy and he just had to play his position. The fact that KD was willing to play his position 
unselfishly in Golden State, I think, you know, gives me a lot of hope for how he can bring things together in Brooklyn. The thing about the Celtics, though, was that Doc Rivers had Kevin Garnett, you know, and and he had to buy him from the most dominant personality. And Kevin Garnett's personality and KD's personality are two different things. So there's, you know, but, but yeah, Steve Nash got his work cut out for him. Mike D'Antoni couldn't keep control as the head coach in Houston of Harden. He's the one who enabled him. I know. know. So so we know it's not going to happen in Brooklyn. That might be why Harden wanted to go there because he knew he could do his thing. Um, right. So we're going to see, man. Close, it's going to be close to New York. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's going right to be over fascinating. The so anyway. Hey, hey, Jesse, man, this has been uh, – man, every time you're on, it's been tremendous, man. Uh, so, um, you know, best of luck with um, the next book. Um, and obviously your tremendous work with the undefeated, uh, just really honored to be your colleague and your, um, yeah, I guess that's, we have a colleague, honored to be a colleague and, uh, maybe we can work together on a project, but we'll find that elusive, that elusive broad book. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Well, thanks Bill, you know, and just, uh, by the way, congratulations on your, uh, overdue induction into, uh, the hall of fame for, uh, whatever that organization was that is fortunate to have you as a member. Um, but you know, it's good to see your accomplishments recognized. They deserve to be recognized. And, uh, um, you know, uh, it's, a it's, a, a life goals for me to be your colleague. So I appreciate you, man. Yeah. Well, same here, man. Hey, Jesse, thanks so much, man. Thank you, yeah, Bill. Thanks, thanks a lot, Jesse. That was a great Jesse Washington of the, uh, of the undefeated, his book, uh, autobiography, John Thompson, as told to, I came as a shadow, uh, just a wonderful read about a, uh, a pivotal human being. And um, Jamal, you got anything else to say for yourself before we leave? No, that's about it. Uh, you know, thanks to, you know, keep supporting the show. Thanks for, to all the listeners. Uh, follow us on social media at BrosPod on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, we'll be back next week. Yeah, we'll be uh, broadcasting live from uh, the White House. Broadcasting <laughs> the, exactly, exactly. <laughs> the, uh, the inauguration. So, um, that, that that's kind of dangerous, though. I don't know. Yeah, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'd be doing it by Zoom. Exactly. All right, everybody. Listen, you guys take care, um, and uh, we'll see you next week. God bless. Keep the faith. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. 
Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.